0: Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is a beautiful day in Columbus, Georgia to worship God. I know as we inch into the fall, we are looking for some relief from our heat-soaked lives. And in the same way, I invite you to open yourself to the refreshing and renewing power of God's Holy Spirit. We're glad you're here, come on in.
1: first reading this morning is Psalm 46 verses 1 through 7. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of the Lord.
0: We are reading a relatively familiar passage from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 19, one through 10. This is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, who by all accounts was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. I invite you to listen again with fresh ears, Luke 19, one through 10. He, Jesus, entered Jericho, and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on the account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was passing that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried Zacchaeus down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He's gone to be the guest of one who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost, For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. Say that with me, please. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, before we get to our Presbyterian paths and our understanding of where we've been, what is all this Reformation stuff about, As Vicki mentioned, tomorrow is Halloween, so I want us to take just a little quiz together to see if we know the paths that Halloween has taken and takes. True or false, like St. Patrick's Day, the origins of Halloween are Irish. True. Which holiday makes more money for retailers, Halloween or Easter? Mm. Halloween. The only holiday that makes more is Christmas. True or false? Candy corn producers make about one million pounds of candy corn every year. True or false? One million pounds. False. They produce more than 35 million pounds, which is about 9 billion pieces of candy corn. That's good for us. What famous U.S. monument was completed on Halloween in 1941? Anybody? Yes, I didn't hear it. Mount Rushmore. Good. Good. Before people used pumpkins for jack-o'-lanterns, what did they carve? Turnips, I heard it, yes, well done. What country did the pumpkin originally grow? Mexico. And finally, what is the most popular type of Halloween costume for children every year? Presbyterian ministers, no, it is a princess of different varieties. So yes, that is some of the history, some of the path that we are on. We will celebrate some coming tonight, I know, trick-or-treating some tomorrow. I even saw some last night uh, around doing their thing. So yes, we are in that zone. So what in the world are we doing celebrating what we call Reformation Sunday on Halloween? Does anybody know why we celebrate this the last Sunday of every October? I heard Martin Luther. Yeah, Nate, go ahead. Nate Becerra, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give it up for him. What he said was absolutely right. So the last Sunday of every month is the closest to October 31st, 1517, when we celebrate that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses or protests or disagreements with the Roman Catholic Church on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, that we see as starting the Protestant Reformation. So... What is, I still don't know those words, pastor. Reformation, Protestant, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Let's take a quick journey through church history. So I'll try to do this fast. I've done this before. I'm gonna be even more quick this time. So in Matthew, if you remember, Peter when with Jesus. Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say that I am? Some John the Baptist, some Elijah, some prophets. then he says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Yes, Peter nails it out of the park. And Jesus says, yes, Peter, Simon, now your name will be changed to Peter, which means rock. And on you, Peter, I'm gonna build my church. I'll give you the keys to my kingdom. The gates of Hades will never prevail against it. So all of those jokes about St. Peter at the gate, St. Peter being at the gate when you go to heaven, you know, the lawyer goes and the minister goes and the rabbi, you know, all of those jokes, it's because of this verse, because Peter's been empowered to have the keys to the kingdom. It's also why our Roman Catholic friends see Peter as the first pope, because Christ brought the church into being right here through Peter. So as we know, quickly moving, All that happens with the resurrection and the disciples moving out, starting church communities, house churches, Paul going then on his mission to the Gentiles. That's everybody but the house of Israel, everybody outside. That would have been us at the time. And the church grows. For several hundred years, the church is persecuted until Constantine in the early 300s gets a battlefield vision to paint Uh, a cross on his shield before he goes into war at the Battle of Milvian Bridge in Italy. He does, he wins, he's converted. He then, a few years later, three years later, does the Edict of Milan, which takes away religious persecution. It doesn't establish yet Christianity as the religion of the empire, but it keeps them from being persecuted. It's religious tolerance then in 380 theodosius the emperor then then instilled christianity as the religion of the roman empire and think how far and how much land the romans occupied at that time and everywhere they were had to become christians so that's when it took root that's when this fledgling sect for 300 years really took root Then, as the church does, because this is who we are, it grew, and then it shrank, and it grew, and then it shrank, and then they got mad, and then they split, and they got back together, and then they split, and then they got another church, and that church split, and then here's another church, and let's get back together, and then the church split some more, and then came back together some more, all the way till the 1500s. How about that for a historical timeline? We get to the Reformation. So the word reform is in that word reformation. What are we reforming from? What are we reformed from? Our Roman Catholic history. Now, let me say to our Roman Catholic friends, we love you. We're part of the same big body of Christ. This was a moment where we uh, separated at this point. It doesn't mean that we are not a part of the family of Christ, because of course we are. So enter Luther. Luther, a German monk, who was a theologian at this point and teaching at the University of Wittenberg. And he has 95 issues, 99 issues, but, sorry. Yes, he had 99 issues, but Jesus didn't one. And he says, because he's a professor, I'm going to put up these on the door these protests and I want us to have a forum about it. He's a scholar, he's a theologian, he's a teacher. So he's putting this up there thinking, let's all get together next Wednesday, we'll have church chicken and then we'll have a program where we'll all sit around and we'll debate some of the issues that I have written out in these 95 uh, issues that I'm raising. Except they took it and they ran. What was one of the greatest aids to the Reformation that former generations didn't have who started similar movements? Oh my gosh, from above, an angel, voice of an angel from the balcony. Yes, printing press. Printing press is right. Gutenberg, the printing press, this was the first time and without his knowledge or permission, they took his writings, they copied it, they circulated it, in the surrounding areas. This was the internet of its time. Cutting edge, spreading information that they could read and hold in their hand or at least in the town square, they could go together and read. Made one of the differences why the Reformation happened and was successful several generations before in the 1400s. People like Wycliffe and, and Hus. Uh, tried to do that and were killed for their, their uh, questioning of the Roman Catholic Church. So, obviously, there are issues. Let's talk about the issues because that's what's at the heart. What was the biggie? Indulgences, yep. As I always say, the best fundraiser in the history of any church anywhere. How did St. Peter's Basilica, anybody been? Rome? St. Peter's? Yep, I've been there. Paid for by indulgences. Indulgences were, you got kind of a piece of paper that you would pay that would lessen the amount of time that you would have to spend after your life ended in purgatory. Okay, so... and. Roman Catholic faith, you have heaven, you have hell. If you're not quite good enough to have made it in, and you're not quite bad enough to have traveled south, you're kind of in this middle place. And you have to kind of earn your way back. You have to kind of do your time to pay off what you didn't do in life, and then you can ascend. I get it. There's some grace there. I appreciate that. But if you pay for these indulgences, it lessens the time that you're there and the severity of the way that sin all kicks in. So the more you pay, the quicker you're in. Luther had a problem with that. You cannot have a financial transaction determining eternity and a moral life through Christ with God. Just couldn't do it. So that was a biggie. There were also issues of access to Scripture as Vicky alluded to, at that time, it was all in Latin, no matter what country you were in, no matter what language you spoke, and who were the only ones mostly who spoke Latin? The priests, right, clergy. So I, I, I hope and assume that they explain things in common vernacular, in language. However, you had to completely trust that the priest was telling you because you didn't speak that language and you had nothing else to go on. Scripture was not accessible for you. We all have, what, several Bibles in our house. Maybe we open them, maybe we don't. That was the farthest that anybody understood and functioned in that time. No access to the Word of God. Another piece, going through human agents, as I mentioned in the uh, prayer of confession, through saints, through others, to get to Christ. Nope, we have direct access to God. We have direct access to Christ. So when we pray, we don't go through saints. We go directly to Christ, our risen Savior. There was a lot of politics involved here. And so when you think of a hierarchical structure, if you have Pope, Cardinals, Bishops, we reformed and swung completely the other way. What's completely opposite from one or two people making all decisions and having all power over you, it is putting the power in the hands of you, the people of each church. How do they do that? Elders. What does the Greek word presbyteros, from which Presbyterian comes, what does that word mean? Elder, right. So much do we believe in you, the people of each church, that the power has been given to each church by its designated rulers, the elders that we call ourselves Presbyterians to reflect that the power is not on high coming down from other human agents, but that we share this and we represent we send and elect representatives, elders, to make our decisions and help govern the church. That was a big swing. The big swing was also to put scripture at the heart of worship and the proclamation of the word. That became the heart of Protestant worship. And reformed then, reformation, reformed from what? From some Roman Catholic teachings. Protestants, we're Protestants. What do we do? What is that word in there? We protested from where we came. God is sovereign over all things. Scripture is the authority, not any one person telling us what to do. It was a rediscovery of Scripture and an opening of Scripture to all people. Imagine, I can't imagine. The great opening of spirit, soul, and life when you were able to have direct scripture when before you had none. To hear the word of God, to feel the word of God, to take in the word of God. So moving on quickly. After Luther and all this began, it upset the apple cart. Luther was excommunicated but inspired John Calvin, who was a French lawyer, who also was excommunicated, went to Geneva, Switzerland, and started this understanding of what would become some order of worship, liturgy that was different than the Roman Catholic liturgy. He was involved in that city, shaping law. They didn't like him, they kicked him out, Then later they invited him back. And when they invited him back, Geneva became a hub for all those who had been excommunicated all over Europe, a safe place to go. So while he is there, John Knox, Scotsman, comes from Scotland and he has quite the journey himself. But to speed us along, Calvin and Knox overlap. Calvin is the mentor, Knox is the mentee. He wholeheartedly buys in to a lot of this liturgy that is different. And he takes it back to Scotland. And whereas Calvin was writing for the whole European movement, Knox takes it back to the Church of Scotland and institutionalizes it, and it becomes the Church of Scotland. Well, how come it's not the Presbyterian Church? They adopt the Presbyterian system of government and theology, And that's where the Presbyterian church takes root. And so when we go back through our Scottish history, our connection is Scotland because that's where it all materializes and Knox gave it roots. Then to quickly move us on, um, throughout religious persecution and other kings and queens uh, on the chessboard, moving this and that, uh, immigrants come to the United States Uh, from Scotland, from Ireland to the East Coast in the 1600s began to populate Georgia through New York on the East Coast. 1706, the first presbytery came into being that worked into the first synod of Philadelphia a few years later. The church began to continue to grow They were very involved in the Revolutionary War, Presbyterians. A lot of our nation's system of uh, uh, representative uh, government was based on this Presbyterian system that was brought with the immigrants. So again, to speed us on, what do then churches do? Well, they get together and they grow and then they get mad and then they divide and then they shrink and then they get together again and then they grow and then they get mad and then they divide and then they shrink the cycle continues for several hundred years. There are issues of the day that divide them, whether that's civil, the Civil War, whether that's how to handle slavery, whether that's the ordination of women, whether that's LGBTQIA plus issues, whether that is where whatever our issues are, there will always be issues. And so the last time the church came together was 1983. And what church was that? Kaboom, right here. The Northern Church and the Southern Church voted to reunite here at First President Columbus in 1983, forming the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America, or PCUSA. That is our past. 1827 to 1830, The city planners in Columbus, Georgia give tracts, chartered land to First Baptist, St. Luke's, Holy Family, and First Presbyterian Church. Others came blessedly, but their focus was on anchoring this city in the risen Christ and having a Christian presence as it built up everything else around it. This church has seen 192 years of ministry, of comings and goings, fire in this space, 1891, reopened, 1893. All kinds of comings and goings, all of them in every generation seeking to be faithful all along the way. It is our past and it is one to be celebrated. Think of all those people in those 192 years that stayed on the path and chose God's path, even though it may have gone a little wonky here, a little wonky here. No generation was without obstacles and difficulty and disagreement. That is who we are as a people. But they continued on. They found a way forward, and the Holy Spirit led them to this place today. We are an inheritor of the paths which our ancestors trod, all of those disciples and martyrs, all of those who stood up for Christ all the way through the last thousands, several thousands and thousands of years. So we come to this point today with Zacchaeus. Today it's not really about Zacchaeus, it is about Christ, which all stories are. The very end of that, that I made you... Repeat, we know Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst, unclean, everybody hated him, not just tax collector, chief tax collector, really bad. Jesus not only sees him and says, I'm coming to your house, which was a no-no in a variety of ways. He says, for the son of man came to seek out and save the lost. One big doctrine for our reformed faith is grace. Grace. We do not earn our way to heaven. We cannot give enough. We cannot serve enough at the homeless shelter. We cannot study enough or pray enough or worship enough or be in the church enough to earn our way into God's kingdom. It is an unmerited gift. None of us can earn it. It is a gift from God. And we spend our life responding by giving thanks in the way that we live And whether we are merit-based into heaven or we are grace, which is what we believe, it's going to look the same. Because we are doing, and people are going to look at your lives and mine and see our faith in the way that we live our lives, we structure our time, we allocate our resources. But grace is an absolute gift to us. We have to believe that. We have to take it in. As I often say, it's like the best Christmas gift ever, all wrapped, pretty, and shiny. Grace is given, but you have to open it. I have to open it. If not, we take that beautiful gift and throw it in the trash, and we miss what's inside. Grace through faith, justified by grace through faith, made right. These are all gifts of us that come to us today In the stewardship campaign, thy paths we choose. They chose their God's path up until today. Now the choice becomes ours. We can look back and we celebrate absolutely. It is our foundation. But if we only face backward in a few years, I'll turn off the lights and lock the doors myself. Or I'm not called to that and I know you're not either. Or we can take that past and celebrate it. We can look at who we are now and we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, become the church that evolves into the presence of Christ in this city, in this state, and in the world. That is our call as we look at this stewardship question today. Thy paths we choose. Will we? Hallelujah. Amen.